0: And now, it's time once again for the show that gives glorious voice to 25 million business owners across the fruited plain, Radio Free Enterprise with Frank Felker. Thank you, Dude Walker. Yes, indeed. I am Frank Felker. Welcome back to Radio Free Enterprise. My guest today is Roger London, a retired angel investor and current technology investing expert based in Columbia, Maryland. Roger London, welcome back to Radio Free Enterprise.
1: Thank you for having me, Frank.
0: I uh, You originally, you and I first met, I can't believe it's been seven years we were just talking about that. 2014, we shared the stage in an event at George Washington University called Semper Startup that was focused on helping entrepreneurs uh, get their startups up and running. And then a couple of years later, you were kind enough to appear as a guest on the audio podcast edition of Radio Free Enterprise. And now we're back together again to talk about something called SBIR and how it's a potential channel to help technology startups find their way to a point where they might be able to attract the attention of venture capitalists or the investment community at large. So I want to start with this, Roger, and I'm going to pick this up and read it because I'm sure I would not be able to memorize this. This is the definition of SBIR from the SBIR.gov website. The Small Business Innovation Research Program is a highly competitive program that encourages domestic small businesses to engage in federal research slash research and development with the potential for commercialization. Now, that sounds like a lot of federal gobbledygook. What uh what exactly does that mean or or just in general, if we were to try to tie together a company that's got some technology they want to bring to market and they're trying to work with one of the government agencies through SBIR, how does that all come together, Roger?
1: Well, I'm pleasantly surprised that their definition if you if you think about it and go through it slowly is actually uh pretty spot on. So, uh, the government, uh, I don't remember when, decided to help small businesses try to, to bridge that valley of death that you've heard about all the time. Um, you know, it's too early for investors to get in. The technology might yet be a little squishy for the customers to feel comfortable with. So the government decided to take a slice of every agency's budget and put it into SBIR funding. I think it's three and a half or four billion dollars a year now. and wow. You know, it's a percentage of agency budget. So the you know, uh, DoD and and NIH and HHS and DHS are the larger uh, you know shareholders of, of money distributed uh, distributed for SBIRs. Um, uh, but well, yeah, so it's, how would up that near four million dollars?
0: Let me let me just give an example. I think it'd be easier to tie it together with a real okay. life example. Maybe a month or so ago, I had a guy on who's from a a med tech startup, med- medical technology. And they've got this wild machine that you put on your head and it connects to your brain with electrodes on your skull and all kinds of stuff. And it has a variety of applications, some of which are good for people who have communication difficulties, like they have ALS or other ways that they just can't speak. Uh, but it also, as the uh, my guest told me, it has military applications and other scientific applications. Let's say this guy were to try to use SBIR to advance their product or get to market, how would that work? Does he reach out to the DOD? What, what, where do you start?
1: Sure. So some simple Googling SBIR, SBIR SBIR.gov, um, each agency, uh, issues BA, uh, broad agency announcements and they tell the public that, um, for instance, upcoming, uh, for DOE, I think it's April uh, 21st is the deadline for one of their SBIRs. So they have a topic list on the website. Um, If you have a technology that addresses one of their high areas of need, one of their high energy targets, um, then you submit an application for it. Uh, It goes sequentially, there's a bit of a sequence to it. So SBIR, ones is, uh, 50 to $250,000. It generally takes six or 12 months for you to, to, um, start the testing and the SBIR one purpose is to validate the tech, you know, to prove that it works, whether it's just a mathematical model, whether it's on a lab bench, just prove that the tech works. Um, if you get the SBIR one and you, uh, Prove that it works. You can submit for an SBIR two, SBIR twos. Then, so your med tech company could uh, could prove that their technology works, and then in six or twelve months they could reapply for a, a phase two. And phase two again, depending on the agency, are like a half a million dollars to a million and a half. Oh wow! And you can use that money for a year to two years. Um, I, I find that most entrepreneurs try to milk out everything over those two years. And I'm constantly banging them on the head. Like you're getting the same amount of money. Can't sure. you, you know, accelerate time to market and get out there, <laughs> you don't have to be two years. So anyway, so you can yep. use it up to two years. And so what you use that money for is ideally you have a, a commercialization partner or somebody that wants to do an MVP test, a potential customer that's willing to a do a pilot test. product. So you can prove the MVP works in working conditions, right? In scale environments. and
0: Well, if I could, let me interrupt you because I want to, I I always try to put myself in the seat of, let's say in this case, a a scrambling startup founder who's trying to find some money or trying to find a way to bring their big idea to market. Um, So let me just make sure I understand. So these application periods only happen once a year, is that correct?
1: They, it could be once or twice a year. They're spaced throughout the year. It's not the okay. same date every year. So it's
0: not like I can just fill out an application anytime I want and see if anybody's interested.
1: I mean, there are exceptions, for the, but for the large part, correct. You have to follow a schedule.
0: And then it's probably uh, more, it, it, is it a requirement that my technology is in alignment with one of the things that the agency is interested in that you mentioned they would have a list of?
1: If, if yes, my sir, technology
0: it, is not in alignment Am I wasting my time to put in an application?
1: Um, most likely because, you know, just like when you go to an investor, you're not, you're, you're competing for the dollars that they're going to spend somewhere. And so if the investor has priority needs, they put those dollars against that. It's the same with the agencies. So you may have a great technology that could solve huge problems, but if it's not, you know, a high demand for them, it doesn't matter.
0: That makes perfect sense. And I'm so glad I asked you that question because just like within an investor, they are an investor. And uh, so you've got to be in alignment with what they're thinking. Okay. So then let's say you said this one was coming up in April. Let's say I put in my application. How long before I hear whether I've been accepted or not?
1: So it's, and it has been accelerating. Uh, They've gotten better at it. Um, So it takes a month to a couple of months, a few months, depending upon the agency used to take six months or eight months, okay. right? Yeah, I was going to say
0: that sounds pretty fast for the feds.
1: Yeah, it, it is. And um, I like, got so many things I want to say, I, wanna make, I don't want to leave anything well, out. But
0: uh, I'm trying, part of my job here is to try to guide you down the path uh, from the perspective of the questions that the person listening wants to know. And so right here, what I'm trying to do is just take it through the sequential, okay. what happens next kind of thing. So let's say it's 90 days and I hear back, when do I get my money?
1: Not too long after that. Really? Um, Yeah. So so this SBIR-2, you know, if you hadn't gotten a 1 and done well on it, you're not going to get a 2. You can't just start in the middle. Mm
0: -hmm. So
1: for the folks who had a 1 for DOE, this specific example. Department of Energy. Mm -hmm. Department of Energy. and, And it worked out well. And their review board likes what they did. And they proved that they they proved what they said they, they could prove. That's really the point. Mm-hmm. Uh, then they say, Okay, so so for phase two, part of your application is up to a 10 or 12 or 15 page commercialization plan. So mm-hmm. you're going to tell them during or after your phase two, how you're going to commercialize this. So they're really keen on not just investing into research for research's sake. The, the purpose of this, and they've gotten better at it over time, is to help things get into market. So uh, I can't tell you how many brilliant engineers and scientists I've talked to who had game-changing stuff, but they had no idea how to get it to market. And so their commercialization plan really buried them because they just thought it was the magic mousetrap that everybody would, you know, right. flock to, where mm-hmm. they didn't know how to sell it, right? They didn't know how to to, to say the right messaging, or they didn't know the true value proposition to the client. There's a, a lot of similarities in most SBR winners mm-hmm. or where their short their shortfalls are. And we can talk about that and, later. And I was
0: going to say, and these are areas where you're able to really help them and to bring it to commercialization. And believe me, we will get to that. But as again, I'm kind of going down the yellow brick road one step at a time. Yeah. All right. So we won a phase one grant and we yes. get our money. And, that's, and we have to have 12 months, you say, to spend that or to meet Six certain to 12 milestones? months.
1: Yeah. Oh, okay. I, I always try to get clients to compress it because the, right. there's time kills all deals, right? Yeah. You just shorten your time to market. Got to have
0: that sense of urgency or you are yeah, lost. You really do. Um, okay. And so then I apply for my phase two. And, yes. Uh, what, and you just stated it, but if you could just quickly recap, what do I have to have done successfully during phase 1 to qualify I had to prove the technology was there anything else I had to do
1: Largely no I mean and, and even in the phase 1 they're kind of looking for larger bigger problems they're they're, they're hoping that you can cure cancer and not a headache I got it okay right? so so if it does if you can prove even just mathematically right or on a lab model hmm. that this thing will work if you give me money later I'll prove that this math that I just did, I can do out in the field. And so that's what the phase two is for.
0: I like that. Well, and this is uh, the kind of public good that uh, people look to their federal government to provide efficiently. Okay, so I did that in phase one and I applied for phase two. Do I get a response back faster in phase two because there's fewer of us and
1: you already know who I am? There are fewer of you and you do have a relationship with the agency. That's a really good point. Mm -hmm. Um, But but the the process still is the same and and there's (laughs) more to actually evaluate in phase two. The risk, uh, something like 30% of all phase one winners get a phase two grant. So still more than half don't get it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But, you know, it's just like with if you're thinking about the venture world, you know, uh, how many people get a phase, a B round, got an A round, right? It just it keeps getting skinnier, right, as you (laughs) go down. So it's just it's just the same.
0: Okay. now you say have you said to me in a pre-interview meeting that you think that this these programs are widely underused. Why do you say that? How might they be better used?
1: well i mean you're getting the honestly the cheapest capital that you could it's possible i mean that is possible so you're getting money that doesn't impact your balance sheet or your cash flow because it's not like a loan that you've got to pay back Mm -hmm. you're getting money that doesn't dilute your equity which means you have more to negotiate with with investors later or if things work out well for you your pile is bigger right the government doesn't get any equity and you don't have to share IP rights, intellectual property rights. So, I mean, this is one of those programs that I think does really great work. The more effective at it they get, the better. But a, a large driver at it was that old uh, chicken or egg um, problem was that you can't get investor money until you have, you know, a proven tech or customers or, you know, everything has been de-risked.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, But you can't do that unless you have some money. So the purpose of this this government program is to try to bridge that gap where you can spend money on research because investors hate to spend money on research, Right. right? So you can develop the thing. You can prove that it works. In phase two, ideally you prove that it works with a customer in a customer environment, right? So it's not just working in a, in a lab sterile environment it's working out in the street with dirt and rocks and people stepping on it or whatever you know the tech that's is.
0: great yeah um, and these are experiences that these types of technologists need to have because right and then they can refine their
1: widget based off of all the feedback right, right. so i um, want to make yeah.
0: a so one thing uh, i want to make sure that one thing's clear because i wasn't clear about this until i asked you previously this is only for technology research, and for technology business models, not for other types of research
1: or other types of businesses. Is
0: that correct?
1: Yeah, they're, they're funding widgets for the most part, not service companies. <laughs> okay, high-tech widgets. High-tech widgets.
0: All right. And could you just lay out maybe just a few ideas, for example, cybersecurity, medtech, I don't know, and a few of the agencies that are, are really
1: engaging with this? Sure. Well, uh, I mean, DOD is probably the biggest tent um, and each of their um, branches uh, has SBIR funds allocated to it all the way down to, uh, uh, you know, at DHS, their s and So DOD has DARPA. Um, okay.
0: Now, if we and- could real quickly, DOD is Department of Defense and DHS Sorry. is right. Department of Homeland Security and DARPA is Defense Applications Research Uh Uh-oh, I lost it right
1: there. Program agency, I forget. It's for rapid prototyping is really what it's for. Right.
0: And, um, okay, Uh, and so, obviously, Department of Defense is a real big one. Now, don't you also work with uh, the Department of Energy?
1: I do. Um, I just happen to build – my background is in uh, military and DHS, uh, DOD and DHS and and the intelligence community, largely – I happened to strike up um, a woman attended an a entrepreneur, entrepreneur presentation I gave and she said, you know, I would love for all of my grant winners, she, she was a, a pivotal in the DOE programs, um, and she said, I would love for my entrepreneurs, my winners to hear this, because I was talking about uh, different kinds of capital available for entrepreneurs. I, I promoted SBIR in my presentation and things that entrepreneurs need to think about, you know, common issues um, that stop uh, entrepreneurs from being successful. And it was, you know, there was no rosy picture about entrepreneurship. I was pretty direct and pretty honest. Some of it was a little brutal, but she said my my grant winners would really appreciate this. So I've been speaking to her SBIR1 and SBIR2 grant winners for a couple of years, then I got invited by EPA to do it with them. Environmental um, Protection Agency. Right. Sorry. I, yeah. <laughs> sorry. Um, and so I, I have met some fantastic people. I, I think the the um, folks running the SBIR programs at those two agencies really care about the agencies and the and the mission statement, but also the people that they invest in and how the programs work. Are they infected, uh, effective? Can they improve them? So, um, you know, I find that in most of the SBIR programs that I've worked with.
0: And so uh, on SBIR.gov, and you may not know this to answer this question. This is kind of a tech uh, minutiae. But would I be able to maybe find a list of the agencies that have SBIR uh, programs yeah. there?
1: There is more than enough stuff okay. out there. And it's pretty easy to navigate through, too, yeah.
0: Excellent. Okay, so I feel as though I'm getting a pretty good picture. I've got a, some kind of a widget idea, and I apply for and receive, we'll just say for the sake of argument, a phase one grant from Department of Energy for a new way of capturing solar energy or something.
1: Right.
0: And then over the course of a few months and, and at an accelerated um, rate uh, with a sense of urgency, I prove the technology either on a breadboard or a spreadsheet or actual out there on a roof somewhere. And then I apply for and receive a phase two grant and it seems to me from our conversations, Roger that this is sort of where you start leaning in. This is like your sweet spot that the company uh, has completed the phase one they've uh, maybe they're about to apply or they have applied or they have received their phase two grant, and now your business expertise and your investment. Capital and community relationships and expertise really come to bear to help them. Is that right?
1: Um, yes, I I I get hired by a lot of SBIR one companies during their uh, their project, and during that time, I try to uh, I exercise them, and I ask them a lot of things to get them to make sure. A lot of these entrepreneurs don't know what they don't know, right? Sometimes they don't know what's important to think about. And, you know, you can't make a first impression twice as the saying goes. So as they're doing their one, I want them to think about who are all the stakeholders, if this thing becomes real, gets to market, who are all the stakeholders, right? Who are the potential channel partners? Are there wholesalers in the middle? Are there contractors in the middle? Who's the eventual customer? Uh, Right. What's that whole ecosystem look like? And what's the value proposition to each of them? And so even back in the phase one, we start to work on messaging a little bit, right, making sure that you're getting the what's in it for me clear to who each of the stakeholders, because it's important that they start thinking about that. So as they're validating their phase one, they're thinking about the goal line of who their customer is, right? In your solar example, their customer might end up being the contractors who install solar panels on the roofs and not the homeowners themselves. Great example. So you have to know what your customer wants. For them, it might be making more margin, it might be easier to install or fewer returns, or that's the value prop to the contractor, to the homeowner. All I want to know is how much energy is it saving me, right? Sure. So the value prop changes for each of the stakeholders.
0: Um, may, may I interrupt you? Because I, I have to figure that everything you just said there, all the questions that you posed and all the stakeholders that you identified, is that an area where most of these technologies, like you said, they didn't even know what they didn't know? that they didn't even think that these were things that they needed to take into consideration.
1: Yes, and especially early in a phase one. And considering that when you're done your one, you apply for the two, and part of it is a commercialization plan. So you have to have thought of these things in your commercialization plan and clearly articulate, we know who the stakeholders are. We know what the value prop of our tech is to all of them. Here's what we think it is. Here's how we're going to play in this ecosystem, and um, you know, here is our uh, messaging to uh, each of our stakeholders. You know, you you also have to have um, your go-to-market plan and the commercialization plan for phase mm-hmm. two. Mm-hmm. So you have to start thinking about. And actually, DOE and all agencies have a little market research money that they have a contractor that will do market research for you. So, I try to have them maximize the market research from these other from these contractors for for the agencies to say make sure that they research who the stakeholders are, right? And um, if you when you do the go to market who are you gonna to go to market with? Make sure they've done the research to show you who that is because when you do the commercialization plan for your phase two app, you have to have a go to market strategy. And so is your you can't just say, we're going to go to trade shows and we're gonna send out some emails. You know, I read recently one of a, a potential client was saying that we've reached out to the top 15 companies in this marketplace and they think that's great and uh, being glasses half empty as a as a former investor right and as a consistent um uh what's wrong with this picture um sending an email to everybody doesn't do anything you no. don't know if they're involved but, you know if you if you survey 100 people and ask them if they would like this product if all 100 say yes, all you know is that 100 people would like this. You still have zero customers, right? right? But a lot of entrepreneurs hang their hat on people like something, right? Well, and um, as you and
0: I know, until somebody pulls out a checkbook or a credit right. card, you got nothing. You got squat right. douche. And the check
1: cleared. Right. That's
0: right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now, with that in mind, I'm trying to think, didn't you talk about it in our previous uh, conversation, about the idea of even getting them in a relationship with a prospective client. In other words, a company that will help them test their widget, and if it works, will at least you know agree to uh, verbally, will, will become a customer. Is that something you help them with as well?
1: Well, I help them evaluate the terms. I don't do any specific negotiating for them. Right. Or I don't go find a company for them, but they'll they'll say, oh, this company has a standard sheet that they, you know, contract that they do. And we look through the terms and see if there's, you know, minimum standards and time frames. And, you know, what we're really looking for is something like a contribution agreement. The entrepreneur is going to bring this to the table. They're going to contribute this. It's this much tech. We'll help update your manufacturing line. We'll pay for these things that have to be adjusted in your manufacturing line. Um, You bring your resources of the plant and the manufacturing line to bear, and then we'll test it in one of your, you know, maybe it's a system of a larger, uh, it's a component of a larger system. Mm
0: -hmm. So then
1: we'll put our new widget that we both built into your you know, systems that you sell and we'll test it. We'll make sure that it is 20% faster and 30% lighter and cost 10% less to build and, you know, blah, 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 all of these things that we thought it would be. Mm -mm. We want to prove the value proposition during phase two.
0: Now, um, and I want to put the link to our previous interview and I will put it in the show notes for this interview. But We talked a lot. And, you know, how does a company communicate with the investment world and what is it that investors want to hear? And you talked about green lights and red flags and all kinds of stuff. And I'm sure all of this applies here. Um, But with a lot of times when a startup company that's not doing SBR brings in investment capital, one of the things they're looking for is a strategic investor. Maybe this person has a Rolodex where they know you could partner with this guy. I know this guy from 20 years ago. This company over here I know will buy this widget if it works. It seems as though that's sort of absent from this, and maybe it's okay because they haven't gotten to that point yet. But what would you recommend to a startup who's maybe in the middle of uh, phase two about how more successfully than just sending an email to reach out and potentially develop relationships with partner companies.
1: So, I mean, how to market to them is a long, you probably know marketing better than I do. Uh, The actual tools, I work with a marketing uh, firm, Optimotive, that does uh, this. But um, the the way that they do it uh, depends on who you're trying to build a relationship with. What I'd like to say, based off of what you just said, is there's different levels of phase two partners, right? At at the the least valuable, but still very valuable, is somebody who agrees to test your widget in a scalable environment to prove that it works. It's a it's a customer, you know. Um, and at a, and there's no guarantees. They're just gonna they agree to try it. So that's better than nothing. The second layer is a is a potential customer who will agree to try it. And you can negotiate with them that if it works under these pre approved, pre agreed conditions that you'll buy it. You'll buy X over some period of time, you know, um, and that can always grow. But it's a if it works, you'll buy it. The, um, you know, next most valuable or. type of strategic partner in that phase two would be a potential customer who's willing to buy it and or could be a strategic investor. So corporate venture capital, CVC is, is, I believe, really underrated, just like these SBIRs, underutilized and under known, that's not the right word, uh, (laughs) not very well known um, as great sources of capital. Uh, And so a corporation, like I used to be a corporate VC for Nokia, and my job was to go out and find things that we would embed into our platform in a couple of years. So we would invest in things that we could become the anchor customer for. And most VCs won't participate unless there is an anchor customer. So we took out the risk for other investors as Nokia uh, by investing in something you know getting all the hair off of it trying it putting it in our platform and now we've got a we're we're putting our money where our mouth is now other vcs will clearly follow that investment in later rounds because it's the market has proven it will adopt it right it, that it's interested this is such
0: great information Roger I really appreciate you sharing oh, good. your experience now let's say we're coming to the end of the phase 2 and uh, I love that you know get all the hair off of it but we're coming to a sort of a hairy period here because now you know we're running out of that sweet federal money and we've either done or we haven't done what we had set out to do. What, what does success look like coming out of phase two and what should a startup company really look to be doing after that's over?
1: So I'll put that in three buckets. Right. One is a investor bucket, One is a continued government bucket. And the third is just moving forward without investor money or agency anymore um, and just selling directly to the market. So hopefully you're in a position where you don't need more money. You know, the tech has been validated. Maybe you're just gonna build a lifestyle business. You're not trying to conquer the world and sell a million units a month or whatever it is. You just wanna make sure your kids go to college. Right. Sure. And that you don't have to sell the house and the last kid to pay for the other kids to go to college. <laughs> um, so the investor bucket, you know, investors invest specifically VCs, especially, but angels also in equity. Um, but the angels and VCs are probably the next home of investor sources for a phase two graduate. They want to make sure that the technology they want de-risked companies. And they look at three different things when you're de-risking. I want to make sure the tech is de-risked. And that is done through the phase one and phase two, proven that it works. So they, the investors want to see that the technology risk has been removed, that it works, right? The second thing is they want the, a de-risked team. This is VCs and angels. So part of your phase two in your commercialization plan is that you're supposed to talk about the management team and make sure that the SBIR review board knows, hey, I'm just an engineer. I've never run a company before. And I realize that I am self-aware and I realize that I need salespeople and or operators with business experience, right? Maybe a CFO, this and that. And I have a plan to build that out. Maybe starting toward the end of my phase two, I might bring on somebody who can help me with licensing right? And the phase two money can pay for this. So, or I might bring on somebody who can help me manage all of the different pilots I got, they could become the role of COO um, later on, right? So if you prove that you, you are self-aware about your management skills and deficits, that VCs can now feel that the team is being de-risked. You know, you've heard the jo- the expression that they bet on the jockey, not the horse. That's usually true. Mm-hmm. So here you want to give them comfort that the team has a plan, right? And that holes will be filled uh, appropriately. And then the last thing that, that investors like to do, and of course I'm making a, a gross generalization here, but I think this is fairly true, that they want to make sure that the market interest has been de-risked. And so they want to make sure that the customers want to buy this stuff. And so during your phase two, you're getting the MVP out there with a customer. You're getting customer validation. And then if you can show I've got some letters of intent, right, from the people who are doing my pilot testing. Um, and so that is an opportunity for you to de-risk the market risk uh, by generating that um, uh those potential customers. So that's the that's two of the three buckets. The last bucket for the phase two graduate is to continue doing business with the government. This is really important. The government, uh, SBIRs have sort of an SBIR 2A, a 2B, a 2C, where they can put some more money in if you meet certain conditions. Like if you have outside matching money, they'll match it. Um, and there's a few other things which, uh, aren't worth going into at this point. But the most important thing is that the there is such a thing as called the SBIR three. And the SBIR three is a non compete bid and contract that you can get with your uh, SBIR parent agency. So for instance, uh, DoD wants you to build some widget that gives extra battery life to the warfighters, right? Costs like $200 a day for all the batteries that they use and the thermal and the this and the that. Um, so you build something that will dramatically lower the weight and, the, and increase the power and the, the durability and performance of the batteries that warfighters have to carry. You do your phase one, you do your phase two. Well, if this thing works and, and warfighters tried it as part of your SBIR2, as part of your validation, well, you can then go to DOD. And DOD can give you a contract without putting that contract out to bid for these new types of batteries that you have. And the no bid, non-compete, you have to be an SBR2 winner, right, to get that. But that's a way to fast track your tech uh, from lab to market in a non compete. I mean that is such a huge advantage and it's nothing illegal, right? You're supplying a, a solution to something that they didn't have anywhere in the market. That was the point of putting out the SBIR. Right. So by now having an SBIR that have, that that provides a solution that nobody else offers, after it's proven that it works, the DoD is like, we're on this. You know, they'll they'd go to army and, you know, contract with this or that, but so that's really huge. Sure. And so I'll make one more point uh, and then I'll shut up. Um, the difference between getting a grant with DOD and the grant with getting uh, and with getting a grant at NIH, for instance, is National that NIH of doesn't. <laughs> right. Sorry. Um, Sorry. And NIH doesn't own hospitals, pharmaceuticals or any of that stuff. So it could never be an SBIR three winner. Right? DoD buys and uses the stuff, right? They got the army and the Navy and the marine and all these people DHS buys and uses this stuff. Hmm. But EPA is a guidance agency it's a rulemaking agency. Right? So if you build a great new solar panel for your roof, EPA doesn't have anywhere to install those.
0: That's very interesting. Right. Or
1: DOE doesn't. Mm -hmm. So if you have something that is energy saving and you could get a grant at DOE or you could also get it at DOD because it helps the warfighters or DHS because it helps Border Patrol or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, Those of those latter ones have a phase three possibility to it. You know, the direct no bid contract. Now, I would offer, I would suggest that you try for both grants, you can't get two grants at the same time to do the same thing.
0: Okay.
1: So if you got approved by both, go with the DOD one, right? But in case the DOD one didn't work, you could still get DOE to fund your research, right? And get you to the proof of concept point, get you to the MVP trials, and now you're sort of on your own for the phase three. But it's still the free money, right? It's not a loan. You don't have to pay it back. It's all, still all those great advantages.
0: Hmm. That is a great nugget to take away from this conversation. Crazy. Now, we're just about out of time, Roger, but there's a couple of, okay. I wouldn't say personal questions, but more about you that I'd like to ask. And uh, I want to start with this, which is, you know, you're at a point in your investing career or your life and whatever. You don't need this. You don't need this aggravation. Why, uh, what is it that brings you to wanting to help uh, these companies that are trying to find their way through this process?
1: Um, uh, it, it is, I, I am semi-retired now. I work with a lot of these kind of entrepreneurs, but I have always uh, been energized by um, innovation, by entrepreneurs. Most entrepreneurs are high energy right? Which you have to be. Um, and the ones that know that they don't know everything, right? And the ones that know that they can uh, get some advice from somebody. Uh, um, I, I really like helping these folks. I've mentored I've, hundreds and hundreds of companies. I've, um, and so I, and I really enjoy it. And so learning, you know, I, over the past year, I've learned about nuclear fusion, I've learned about battery tech, I've learned about solar. Um, I've learned about water purification and underground, uh, what you call them. So I, I forgot the word already.
0: Um, uh, aquifers I learning about all these tables,
1: aquifers, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm learning about all these new cool things. And, you know, I know enough to be dangerous at a cocktail party <laughs> or something. I still couldn't, you know, I still know a lot. But I, I really like helping the entrepreneurs and, and I see myself as sort of an overwatch position, making sure that they don't step on any landmines. Hmm. If there's two paths in front of them, making sure that they know that there's a third possible path, and then that they make an informed decision on those three, right? Sometimes they don't even know there's a third path. Um, And, you know, just try to make sure they don't get hosed by contractors or by people that want to do a strategic partnership with them or investors that are coming in uh, and just taking bigger slice than they really than it's really worth. Or So, I, you know, I'm not looking for any equity. I'm not looking for a long term thing. I'm just here. I'll help you get to phase two if you're in phase one. If you're in phase two, I'll try to help you get commercialization and get money, get to the point right where you get all those things later. So that, well, that's a lot of fun.
0: That Yeah. And I love that you said because you enjoy it. It's a lot of fun. You have a passion for it. You're a lifelong learner. You like dealing with high energy entrepreneurs. You like helping people. It's all great stuff. What um- and, and
1: as an aside, they, they have to be comfortable with my direct nature because, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I'll just tell them what I see and, you know, they, they, yeah.
0: Well, as you know, business is different. Relationships in business are different. And uh, even in The Godfather, you know, oh, it's nothing personal, Sonny. It's strictly business. You just have to sort of put on a different face uh, in business. Now, if somebody did uh, want to reach out to you and maybe learn more or ask whether or not you could help their company, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: Um, So I've got a... uh, uh, on my LinkedIn page, uh, I've got my I've got a one-page website that I just put up to show mm-hmm. folks what I do and areas where I could help. Uh, they could contact me by email. Um, okay. so maybe uh, LinkedIn's the best way.
0: Sure. All right. Well, uh, there's one question I always like to ask on the way out, Roger, and that's uh, whether or not there's a question I should have asked you that I haven't, or a thought that's come to you during our conversation that you wanted to share before we go?
1: Well, there are many I'd like to share, but uh, with limited time, I would say one of the things that I consistently see with almost all innovation entrepreneurs and especially SBIRs because they tend to be more scientific and engineering technical oriented is their product roadmap really needs to be tightened up um and uh somebody was telling me I, I should claim it as my own but but they use the the notion of you build your product roadmap based off of putting your features into three categories game changer showstopper or distraction <laughs>
0: um,
1: if you have a game changer tech you know and the example is is uh, ring doorbell right they've got a they've got a tech nobody has ever had a way to look at your phone and see who's at the door right awesome tech then uh, a showstopper might be well if the if the original ring doorbells cost 2 grand well that was a showstopper so if you're adding things that get it to 2 grand you're taking away the market you know you're putting too much stuff in there so you have to You have to make sure that you're not building a feature map that's actually hurting your time to market. And then the last bucket is distraction. And this is really a good example of in the ring doorbell, you know, their first camera had lousy video. Lousy might be too harsh of a word, but the video wasn't very good, it wasn't HD. But the time it would have taken them to develop an HD camera, put it in that form factor, get it in the price range where they needed it to be, would have really delayed their time to market and wouldn't have made a difference in the adoption, right? All they would have lost is that year or two years and all the money, right? And the opportunity cost. So that polishing the cannonball sometimes can really, really hurt somebody uh, because in that absence of a year, somebody else might come. You never know who else is out there. Um, You just don't have any time to waste. So I would encourage you to think about your project roadmap, your development roadmap in those three buckets.
0: Roger London, thank you so much for sharing all this information, experience, and wisdom with us today.
1: My pleasure, and I hope everyone gets some value
0: from it. Thank you, Frank. Thank you, Roger. Thanks again to Roger, and thank you for joining us. Until next time, I'm Frank Felker saying I'll see you on the radio. Forgiving your entrepreneurial sins with a gentle wave of his microphone, here's Frank Felker.